0: Thanks to HelloFresh for supporting Motley Fool Money. Get $30 off your first week of deliveries when you go to HelloFresh.com slash MF30 and use the offer code MF30. Also, thanks to Molecule, the world's first molecular air purifier that reduces symptoms for allergy and asthma sufferers. For $75 off your first order, visit Molecule.com. That's Molecule with a K, -K M-O-L-E-K-U-L-E.com and enter the discount code FOOL.
1: Everybody needs money. That's why they call it money. The
2: best thing From Fool Global Headquarters,
0: this is Motley Fool Money. It's the Motley Fool Money Radio Show. I'm Chris Hill, and joining me in studio this week, senior analyst Jason Moser, Matt Argensinger, and Ron Gross. Good to see you as always, gentlemen. Hey.
2: hey, hey.
0: We've got the latest headlines from Wall Street. We'll talk to Andrew Brandt about the Supreme Court's decision on sports betting, and as always, we'll give you an inside look at the stocks on our radar. But we begin with the retail industry, starting with Walmart. First quarter profits and revenue both came in higher than expected. Online sales in the U.S. up 33%. But Ron, they are spending a lot of money.
3: Yeah, that, it's Yeah, it was mixed, and you, you nailed it on the head. Uh, beating expectations on the top and bottom line, that, that's great. Comp sales up 2.1%, also strong online sales That's, you know last quarter they actually disappointed on the online sales growth and the stock took a slam now up 33 percent. Really good to see, and that's important. Online grocery also showing good strong growth numbers as well. But margins are under pressure. We've got um, higher freight costs, we've got price cuts to remain competitive, and that's taken a bite out of profit. Operating income was actually down in the U.S. by about
4: 3%. So, a mixed bag overall.
0: There are also, many obviously going to be spending a
4: lot of money in India. That's right. A ton of money. $17 billion, I think? Something like that. Yeah, F- Flipkart doesn't come cheap. That's right. And I, I wonder, though, if Walmart is, is focusing too much on what they're trying to do in India and elsewhere and at the expense of their domestic operations. Because I, I know we can tout the online growth a lot, uh, but I just wonder, you know, they still have this tremendous store base here in the U.S. that's responsible for still you know, 80% of their over global revenue. Uh, and I just wonder you know, if, if they're taking the eye off the ball a little bit there. Doug
0: McMillan, you look at him as CEO for the last four years, the stock is only up about 12%, but it feels like the moves that he and his team have made have made the company more than 12% stronger than it was four years ago.
3: I I think that's fair, and you might be pointing out a nice value investing opportunity. Nine times EBITDA is not expensive for this type of company as long as they continue to put up these kinds of numbers. But I would want to see margins turn. And it's going to be competitive for quite some time, so we actually might not see that for a while. So, that value investment could be a little bit of a value trap for a while.
0: Let's move on to the malls. We had reports this week from Macy's, JCPenney, Nordstrom. It's pretty rough out there. Although, Macy's did surprise a lot of people, and that stock's up more than 10%. Right.
4: Well, Macy's with comparable sales up Uh, 4.2%. On the flip side, you had Nordstrom which was just point up 0.6 percent. J.C. JCPenney, which is just up 0.2 percent, and it's 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 a real it's a real mixed bag. And I and I looked at I was looking at this very long term chart of the sales of department stores. This is courtesy of the U.S. Census. And if you look at it, I, I was surprised at this. But department store sales, so this includes the Macy's of the world, the Nordstroms of the world, sales actually peaked in 2000. So we got to go back 18 years ago, and you know this is if you go back to 2000, I mean. Most people still hadn't heard of Amazon, let alone shopped on it, uh, and we've we kind of had this narrative of well, this e-commerce rise over the last two decades has really just you know kicked the teeth in at a lot of these department stores. But really, I think it's 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 more of a phenomenon of of consumer behavior. It's just people are, have decided not to go to malls, or and specifically, you're not going to department stores, and so. We can talk about the death of malls and, and the demise of traditional retail, but you can see retail sales in general have continued to rise over the last two decades, and I mean, e-commerce is a part of that. But I feel like these companies are just slicing and dicing a smaller and smaller pie.
1: I tell you, in line with what you're just saying there, it shocked me, actually, a little bit to see this week that BJ's Wholesale Club is going to go public again after being taken private a little while back. We talk about Costco and really how they've done such a great job in running that bricks-and-mortar store in what is becoming more and more an online online environment. To me, there are just so many red flags with that BJ's club IPO file. I mean, I, I don't understand exactly what they think they're going to do here, but, but they really do have their work cut out for them between Costco and, don't forget, that Walmart has Sam's Club as well.
0: So, is it possible that what's going on with BJ's is simply the company that took them private is looking for an exit strategy? They're I think it's more than
1: possible. <laughs> I think it's very,
3: very likely. Department stores are not dead. There's always going to be department stores. But the problem was it got out of hand and there were too many stores and the footprint was too large. So, kudos to macy's who kind of you know did what they had to do and closed 100 stores and laid off thousands of employees and that hurts and it's painful but you know, if the business isn't working, you have to make those tough decisions. This last quarter showed you know some some pretty good results for Macy's, and it'll be
4: interesting to see if they can follow through. You know, I'll just note that Nordstrom was down about ten percent on Friday to forty six dollars a share. So that fifty dollar take private deal <laughs> by the family—it's looking pretty good right now if you're a shareholder. <laughs> that was going
0: to be my next question. Are, are, are we? Ne- it seems like with Nordstrom for. As good a business as that has been over the last twenty years, I, I, it seems like a stock that you'd be crazy to buy just because it's all about the Nordstrom family and their attempt to take it public, right?
3: Pretty much, pri- and, and that puts kind of a value on the business that you can kind of see. It's fifteen times earnings, I want to say right now, which is is not expensive. But you know, when you look at Macy's at eight times, um, it, it's you know it, it gets a little pricey up there, and. It, doesn't look to me like you would probably it would be a market beater over the next few years.
0: The last thing on JC Penney and I'm sorry to end on this note, but are, are we getting into Radio Shack territory here? It really <laughs> seems like this business has been so challenged for so long that
4: it's almost a real estate play at this point. I don't know if it's any kind of play to be honest with you because I, like, I think I just think the, the mall business, the department store business itself is shrinking and JC Penney is just the worst of the worst. Let's move on to Home Depot. First quarter report got hit by weather and
0: shares of Home Depot falling a bit this week. Jason, interesting to note though, they had a bad April. It was just flat out bad, and they didn't lower guidance one
1: bit. No, I mean, it was. I think the narrative that this was somehow a weak quarter for Home Depot is. I mean, I think it's laughable. But I mean, maybe that's uh, you know how opportunities arise, right? I think that uh, longer term focused investors probably. Uh, look at it that way. And, I mean, when you look at the numbers that Home Depot continues to lob up there, given the size of the company, they continue to grow comps 4-5%, or growing the U.S. comps, growing that top line. I mean, just All in all, a very well-run business. And and the nice thing about Home Depot is, it it does make up for those uh, weather-related occasions, right? It it serves its purpose in good weather and in bad weather. So, then it becomes really just kind of a timing issue, maybe, based on the expectations that Wall Street sets up. But you want to look at something that that is going to be a nice sort of long-term catalyst for a business like this. Go back to 1995, 17% of homes were less than 10 years old, and 33% of homes were greater than 40 years old. Now, fast-forward to 2016 only eight percent of the homes in US were, were less than 10 years old and 51 percent of the homes were more than 40 years old and that trend is going to continue so just connecting the dots here in in plain English that means our houses are getting older a lot older and we're not really backfilling that with a lot of new homes and that just means that Home Depot and Lowe's too should see a lot of business coming in in, in the next uh, you know few years five years even so I just think there's a great catalyst for a business that has removed Remain somewhat uh, Amazon-proof to this point. I like the I like that data point that Jason has about the the age of, of houses in well, general. Thank you. <laughs> what I do worry about
4: though is that the house flipping trend is another trend that's kind of taken off. We've seen fits and starts of it over the last, you know, certainly in the last. Housing boom, but I feel like it's come back in a big way to the point where a lot of there's hedge funds now that have gotten really big into, into house flipping. Oh, I'm sure and, that'll work well, out <laughs> great. And yes. Redfin's doing it. And Zillow, yeah, correct. correct. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, that, that to me, right there, that is just that's phenomenal business for Home Depot because you're going in, you're wrecking these houses and rebuilding them up on, from the inside. And is that sustainable, especially with uh, eventually mortgage rates rising? We'll see.
0: How much of the house flipping do we need to blame on uh, the house hunter type shows?
4: <laughs> oh, I think a good
1: chunk. I mean, Are I I, I like those shows. I, I they're entertaining. They just do. They do such a good job of making it seem like schmoes like us can actually do it, you know? (laughs) I mean, I can do
3: that. I'm getting nervous because I'm seeing more and more of these mortgage commercials that are going out of their way to be creative to get you a mortgage, and that's what got us into trouble last time, and we better be careful.
0: Coming up, the royal couple is preparing for their wedding, and fortunately for them, we're here to help. Stay right here. You're listening to Motley Fool Money. Quick thanks to HelloFresh. They're offering our dozens of listeners $30 off your first week of deliveries when you go to HelloFresh.com slash MF30 and use the offer code MF30. Meal kits delivered right to your door in insulated, recyclable packages. There are three plans to choose from, classic, veggie, and family. They sent a bunch of meal kits here to Fool HQ, and I got one of the veggie ones. I'm not going to lie, it was not my first choice. I let other people pick first, but you know the veggie one was left. I said, alright, I'll give this a shot. It was fantastic. It was a pesto flatbread pizza that was very popular with the younger people in my house, as well as me. And HelloFresh makes it easy. They just make it easy to cook delicious, balanced, filling dinners for less than 10 bucks a meal. Also, a little something we like to call free shipping. Not having to plan dinner, spending money on takeout for an easy night, not worrying about gathering ingredients, all these things are great, and you get them all with HelloFresh. So go to hellofresh.com/mf30 and use the code MF30 to get thirty dollars off your first week of deliveries. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. Chris Hill here in studio with Jason Moser, Matt Argus, and Ron Gross. New radio station to welcome this week to the Motley Full Money family. WUVR News Talk in Lebanon, New Hampshire. Hey, all
1: right. Coast to coast. Woo. We love welcome it. Welcome to the family.
0: Mixed fourth quarter report for Take Two Interactive. The video game makers' profits came in stronger than Wall Street was expecting, but overall sales for Light. Uh, Maddie, the NBA playoffs are getting good ratings, but uh, Take-Two's NBA game was not exactly flying off the shelves. No,
4: no, and I, I mean, there's something called Fortnite that might have. <laughs> yeah. Well, I I went through, I, this is great, I went through the conference call. And we've been talking about this for a few weeks now, but Fortnite was mentioned 17 times on Take-Two's conference wow. call. To the point where Strauss Zeldnick, I, I, the CEO of Take-Two, I felt like he was getting a little frustrated because he started out saying, you yeah, Fortnite, know, Fortnite's great, it's a hit, it's bringing in new players, the industry, it shows how robust our industry is. We love when other
3: games yeah. make- have huge successes. The youngsters are coming in,
4: but by the end, he was saying, "Hey, look, it's a hit." And you know, hits by their nature tend to be unexpected. But hey, we got Red Dead Redemption Two coming out this summer. Watch out for that hit. But you're right. You mentioned revenue was lighter than expected, uh, down year over year, actually. And I like to focus on what uh, Take Two calls recurrent customer spending, which is uh, spending uh, after the fact. So they, customers buy the game. What do they do after that? Well, things like virtual currency, add-on content, in-game purchases. That was up 42. percent Year over year, and I think with with companies like Take Two, and I do this with Activision and, and Electronic Arts as well, is you kind of like tend to look at three year rolling periods for these uh, companies. It, it, it smooths out all the boom and bust from uh, from blockbuster hits. If you look at Take Two's three year rolling revenue, it's up seventeen percent. I think that's the right metric to look at. So solid growth for sure. Can we come up with a better name for the metric recurrent customer spending? Several <laughs>
3: yeah. left tongue for you. Well, uh, uh, d- d-
4: the other companies call it digital spending. I that's Take Two's taking a different tack shares of PayPal up on Friday which is a little surprising because
0: this comes after PayPal announced it is paying more than 2 billion dollars in cash for a Sweden-based fintech company called iZettle. Uh Jason Wall Street likes the deal but uh what in the world is iZettel?
1: Well, iZettel <laughs> is basically referred to as the Square of Europe. So, just think Square and then Europe, and now you have a good picture as to what they do. Um, it's it's interesting, you know, we've talked, I guess, for the last probably decade or so about the payments industry and how MasterCard and Visa have been the ways for investors to win in this really attractive space, and everybody knows I love it. I think the next decade, we're going to watch PayPal and Square really duke it out for a lot of share in this space. So, MasterCard and Visa Will work out well, but I think investors need to keep an eye on PayPal and Square. And I think that PayPal recognizes what Square is doing, particularly for the small business owners here in in this country. Not only that, but they are certainly expanding globally. So I think PayPal is trying to get out in front of this. They are paying a lot for Izettle. I mean, it is it is not a cheap deal by any means. I think Izettle probably annualized is bringing in somewhere in the neighborhood of about one hundred and fifty million dollars. So you do the math there. That's that's a lofty. Multiple, but with that said, PayPal is going to do what they do best here. They've done it with Zoom, they've done it with Venmo. They just they get these guys into their family. They let them keep on doing their thing, and they give them exposure to that massive network and expertise that PayPal has. And you remember, what all that long ago we talked about that deal with Synchrony, where PayPal was unloading that that receivables portfolio. We we're questioning what might they do with this cash. Well. This is a good idea here I think. You've got a business with a big balance sheet, strong cash flows. It probably is a decent investment on PayPal's part.
0: So why do you think we're seeing a little bit of a disconnect if they're paying such a lofty multiple for iZettle? I mean, shares of PayPal's still up. So
1: clearly well, I just I think you're looking at clearly uh, the trend towards electronic payments that's that's only strengthening and then I think when you add the global opportunity to that, I think there's just there's it's a big win for for everybody involved.
0: Campbell's Soup's third quarter loss was bad enough, but the company also cut guidance for the full fiscal year. Shares of Campbell's Soup falling on Friday to their lowest point in more than five years. And Ron, CEO Denise Morrison said. I'm out of here.
3: As our producer Mac would say, woof, this is a bad, <laughs> bad report. Um, and Denise Morrison did not have a successful seven years um, at this company. And and this quarter just kind of put, put, puts an exclamation point on it. Organic sales were basically flat on, on weak performance of soup, which, don't, you know, I'm no analyst, but if you're a soup company, you should probably have some stronger sales of soup. Wait a minute, aren't um, you an analyst? Oh yeah, I am an analyst. Uh, <laughs> gross margins weak, higher food costs, higher uh steel and aluminum prices actually um hurting them thanks to the tariff um situation that we we see ourselves in right now their fresh food segment has been pretty much a disaster they they've had to write down about 600 million dollars uh, from that business which was largely an acquired business um as you said new ceo search underway i think they'll uh by necessity, undertake a strategic review um, perhaps look to sell some brands but what's interesting is the 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 Dorrance family owns really um about forty percent of this company the Dorrance family and their affiliates so any major change
4: is going to have to get through that family uh, stepping back a little bit from campbell's i i'm just I'm just kind of starting to get fascinated by looking at the consumer staples consumer yeah. household goods businesses because like, you mentioned Campbell's, but Kellogg p and g Clorox all these companies are just I mean, they've been butchered, and they're down at the, near the 52-week lows, and the valuations look really compelling. And I guess it's the idea that these these distinctive brands don't really matter so much anymore to the consumer. But I, I have to say, you're, you're getting some of these businesses, and you look at the dividend yields at very low valuations.
0: Well, and within that group, you look at packaged foods, and you see, you know, Campbell's down 40% over the last year, Kraft Heinz down yeah, just about the same amount, right? General Mills down more than 25%. I mean. It's almost like it's teen apparel. I mean, how bad is the packaged food industry? Yeah, well, right and now?
3: it's not. I think what Maddie said. It's not about the brands because if you t- if you look at Campbell's, their soup sales were down about two percent, but private label soups were up eleven percent across the board. So mm. it, it's you know soup is still selling. It's just not Campbell's soup that's selling. The average cost of a
0: wedding in the UK is thirty seven thousand dollars. But this weekend is no average wedding, guys. Prince Harry and Meghan Markle getting married. And the costs are estimated to be north of $45 million. (laughs) Uh, We're all married uh, in this room. Our producer, Matt Greer, Steve Broido, uh, both married as well, although uh, not to one another. (laughs) And uh, I I have to believe if you took the costs of our six weddings together, they don't come close (laughs) to a fraction of the cost of the royal wedding, nor nor should it. But uh, can we offer some advice for the happy couple? Because they're gonna be financially, I feel like they're, they're, they're good. good. <laughs> I feel like they're good. But, you know, we're all experienced married people. Ron, we'll just start with you. Any advice for the happy couple?
3: There's a crown jewel joke in here somewhere, but I'm gonna steer clear <laughs> and just say look, look, when I get home from a long day at work and I, I get into the castle, my wife appreciates when I take my shoes off. So take the shoes off, don't forget to take the garbage out, mow the lawn. Happy
1: life, happy wife, or vice versa.
0: You think Prince Harry's going to be mowing
3: the lawn? You know, you got to do what you got to do,
0: Jason.
1: Yeah, listen, I don't know Prince Harry from a hole in the wall, but I can tell you what has gotten me seventeen years with my lovely wife. You know, my mom taught me how to cook when I was a kid, and I suspect with all of that money, they're probably going to be ordering it out a lot. But. (laughs) I think that Prince Harry, get yourself in the kitchen every once in a while, whip up a nice dinner for your wife, show her that you love her by giving her a good meal, wow. eat at home, show, yeah, that, that, yeah, that's love right there, Chris, that is
4: love. <laughs> Maddie? Uh I am going to stick with the crown jewels. I'm going to say, don't <laughs> wear the crowns too often. I heard they're heavy, causes neck problems, back problems down the road. Just wear it once and then, you know, look at them. I mean,
0: let's go to the person that we all want to hear from. No. That's our man <laughs> behind the glass, Steve now, Steve, some advice for the... Happy couple?
2: I would say keep your finances separate. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I would say. And I would also say is, you know, if he wants to go down to Tractor Supply to pick up some hay for the horses, if she wants to go down to Tractor Supply to pick up some, maybe a shovel to do some planting around Windsor Castle, keep that separate. Just keep it separate. (laughs) I
0: really hope, I mean, now that you mention it, I really hope at least one of them is interested in gardening. (laughs) I do too. It's I mean, they got so much property, wrong, yeah. don't you think? <laughs> There's a lot to do. Uh, the only thing I'll throw in, and this this sort of dovetails with what uh, Jason was saying, was uh, you know, every once in a while, just surprise your spouse. Just surprise him with something. Just uh, do something a little unexpected on the good side, not like oh, surprise! I just I just crashed the car. You yeah, know,
1: my wife noted the other night to one of my daughters. She says, you know, your father. He's trying to like tell me all the good things I do. She's like, you know, your father—he'll—he'll he'll bring home flowers unprompted for no reason whatsoever. And I thought to myself, you know what? I do that every once in a while. <laughs> oh. I was patting myself on the back there. Hey, bring her some flowers for the, no reason whatsoever. You think there's a prenup on something like this?
0: I don't know. I don't know. But hearing Jason buying flowers unprompted for his wife just reminds me that not all heroes wear capes. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys. We'll see you later in the show. This week, the Supreme Court rocked the sports world and the business world. Andrew Brandt will help us sort things out. Stay right here. This is Motley Fool Money. Go
2: down Go down
0: Welcome back to Motley Full Money. I'm Chris Hill. This week the US Supreme Court cleared the way for states to legalize sports betting. Here to help us make sense of it all is Andrew Brandt, director of sports law at Villanova University, a veteran columnist, a former general manager, and a former sports agent. Andrew, always good to talk to you.
2: Always good to talk to you, Chris. And as you mentioned, a professor of sports law and the number of cases at the United States Supreme Court that involved the word sports in the history of the court, you can probably list on one hand. So it was a big deal this week when this happened.
0: So this strikes down a federal law from about 25 years ago that had prohibited most states from authorizing sports betting. Let's start with this. Did either the ruling or the fact that it was not a close decision, did either of those surprise you?
2: They didn't. Because to take you back quickly, this case has been bouncing around for six years and on every single level... The leagues won against New Jersey, and that statute you mentioned was upheld. But a year ago, in May 2017, on appeal to the United States Supreme Court, they took the case. They took the case. And anyone who's a scholar in appellate law tells you that they don't take a case to let it stand. So once that happened, I'm like, they're going to do something about this. They're going to do something, whether New Jersey-specific or to the PASPA, the statute you mentioned from 1992. And lo and behold, I was there, Chris, December 4th, sitting literally two feet behind Chris Christie. And I heard those arguments. And you hate to read the tea leaves on these things because you never know, but I read the tea leaves and I was right. I thought there were six justices firmly in the camp of New Jersey, And they weren't really talking about sports gambling. What they were talking about was states' rights and giving states an opportunity to make their own laws regarding this and not having it a monopoly to Nevada based on an antiquated law from 25 years ago.
0: Now I'm just wondering if somewhere in the world there's a a sports book that uh, offers odds on Supreme Court decisions. (laughs) I would think so. So, yes, because you could have put some money down after after being there. Yeah, um, Mark Cuban, who is the owner of the Dallas Mavericks, came out immediately after the decision and said that everyone who owns a major sports team is going to see the value of the team double. And I get why he says that because he owns a pro sports team. But I'm wondering if you agree with that.
2: I agree that valuations will rise, and we can talk about all the ways revenue will rise. I think saying double, is a little bit hyperbole when these franchises are already worth a billion and a half to two to two and a half billion dollars. So I don't think that, but it's a good day. And here is someone saying that who's part of the NBA, which opposed, opposed this result. So, you know, I kind of facetiously asked this for the last six months since the December hearing. Do the leagues want to win this case? or do they want to lose this case? And, listen, the right answer is they wanted to win the case and set up a federal framework for sports betting rather than the state-by-state approach, which is going to be patchwork. But now it's over. I mean, there's no more appeals after the Supreme Court, and they are faced with dealing with the states absent some kind of Hail Mary in Congress.
0: So we've seen in the secondary ticket market, we've seen teams uh, offer sort of their own secondary market so that they can compete with the likes of StubHub. Are, are we a couple of years away from seeing betting windows at stadiums and arenas?
2: I don't see why not. Listen, this, the Supreme Court are, are justices. They're not laying out a structure for gambling. But If we look to Europe, you know, betting parlors in every stadium, uh, sports books are going to start appearing in brick-and-mortar. We're going to see it right away within two weeks in New Jersey in a horse track, Monmouth Park. And to me, that's just the beginning. Why wouldn't we see it at MetLife Stadium in northern New Jersey? There's nothing holding that back. Uh, So I think that's where we are. And we're only limited by the, our imaginations because we could easily see something like in-game betting down the, lo- the road, which is the whole new frontier where you're betting on the next play, the next touchdown, the next basket, the next hit, uh, the next goal in hockey. It could all happen that way.
0: I want to go back to uh, something you had said about um, the pro sports leagues. They were they were looking for a f- essentially a federal law. And I'm curious if that is the next thing that we're going to see, is some attempt by the four major pro sports to get together and really push for federal legislation. I can think of a couple of problems with that, one of which is, pick whatever your favorite pro sport is in America. There are a couple of owners who are (laughs) lightning rods within their sport. So, Sometimes it's hard for owners in a given sport just to get on the same page about anything. Getting them from different sports all to work together, that really seems like a challenge.
2: (laughs) It does, and and they're a little bit a day late and dollar short, Chris, because the time for hard lobbying about a federal legislation was before this week. Because, listen, the courts have decided... And New Jersey's ready to go, and we'll talk about other states that are ready to go. And the federal legislation, if they were so worried about that, they would have been lobbying hard, because just now, in reaction to this, Senator Orrin Hatch in Utah, and by the way, Utah's never going to have sports gaming, uh, introduces a bill which mirrors the language of Roger Goodell and Adam Silver, who want a federal solution, as opposed to the state-by-state patchwork. But good luck with that. You know what we got going on in this world? You think Congress is going to fast-track a sports betting legislation right now? Good luck.
0: Yeah, I don't don't see that happening. Um, Speaking of tea leaves, you mentioned, obviously, New Jersey was the state that brought this case forth. Um, while this was working its way through the courts, we saw other states like West Virginia and Pennsylvania and Mississippi already pass laws in their states essentially saying, if we get the green light from the Supreme Court, we're ready to go. As many as 20 other states are considering various levels of legislation like this. How, How concerned, if at all, are the people in Las Vegas. If you're a casino owner, are you looking at this and seeing some percentage of your sports book business walk away?
2: I think so. I've I, asked this question a lot the past few days. What is Nevada's stance on what's happening? You know, On the one hand, yes, it's going to siphon off to other states their monopoly. On the other hand, they are the gold standard. So whatever benefit and there is some, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm having a hard time quantifying it, but benefit to New Jersey looking to Nevada, to Pennsylvania looking to Nevada, to New York and Connecticut and Mississippi looking to Nevada to figure out what's the right way to do this in terms of regulation, in terms of the take, in terms of taxes, in terms of controls on, on potential compulsive gambling. All these things are really going to be up to the way Nevada did it. I mean, they've, they have the gold standard. So I think it's kind of mixed bag for them. Uh, there still isn't that place where, I mean, to a small, small extent, Atlantic City, where people go on vacation for shows and glitz and glamour, and oh, by the way, there's gambling uh, like Las Vegas. So I don't know if it's going to be a big hit.
0: Yeah. I like the comment from uh, Carolyn Goodman, the mayor of Las Vegas, who said, well, anyone can gamble, but here in Las Vegas, it's a party. So, they they do have that going for them. Um, I have to believe that uh, the likes of ESPN and Fox Sports and anyone involved with that type of media outlet has got to be excited about not just the potential for more sponsorships here, but also the potential for more programming?
2: I think so. I mean, I I just think that we are, it sounds like we've had gambling for a while because it's been all illegal, but we're really at the forefront of a new frontier. How are we going to deal with all this, especially like I talked before, in-game, on an app, probably betting? How are leagues going to deal with it? How are networks going to deal with it? Uh, you know, one thing I've advocated, Chris, is I think each league needs, if they don't have already, a CGO, a chief gambling officer, to figure this stuff out. And then probably the best place to get them is either from Nevada or from Europe, who have been handling these issues for years and years. You know, the whole idea with this, with this repeal of this law is it wasn't working, because we have a $150 billion sports betting industry that's illegal, So if you make it legal, you have more controls. You control consumption and you regulate and you tax and you bring it out of the darkness. That's the goal here.
4: Is
0: it a foregone conclusion that this, I don't want to use the word absolutely, but uh, as close to absolutely as possible increases engagement for live sports viewing?
2: Absolutely. I mean, that's really what's why I say I don't know, know if the league's really wanted to win this case, because fantasy over the past three years has shown this to be true. I mean, everyone listening knows this fact to be true. You have rooting interests in games that have, you have no affiliation to either team. That happens in fantasy, and it's going to happen more with regular sports betting. People will tune in to games. There's research from Nielsen that the average NFL fan who's a non-better will watch 15, 16 games a year. Makes sense, their home team. The average NFL fan who's a better will watch close to 40 games a year. That's a big difference. The NFL knows that.
0: So. What should we be watching for as this plays out over the next 6 to 12 months? If, it, if the ship has sailed on the leagues getting together to push for federal legislation, what should we be watching for?
2: State-by-state approach, as I mentioned, far ahead of every other state is the state that's been in litigation with the leagues for six years. New Jersey's ready to open Monmouth Park, I think, by the end of NBA Finals in two weeks. That um, That soon. That soon. It's been retrofitted. It's a million dollars have gone into making it a Nevada-style sports book. It is ready to go,
3: <laughs>
2: that soon. And then you get to these states that are close, where different levels of passage in the state senate, state house, state committee levels. I put the the on the next group of states right where I am in Pennsylvania, Delaware, West Virginia. Mississippi, Iowa, and then I'll look, you know, a bunch of on deck circle after that. Listen, New Jersey's way ahead of the game. Do I think we're gonna have fifty states ever? No. I think by NFL season we'll probably have three or four more besides New Jersey. And maybe by this time next year, ten to fifteen states will be online.
0: Last thing and then I'll let you go. Uh the one uh, big area of sports in America that we haven't talked about is college sports. Yeah. Does this decision and the amount of money that is going to be flowing into all of the various endeavors related to sports betting on pro sports, does this, in your mind, speed up the timeline for paying college athletes?
2: I don't know because the one area that we've talked a lot about the leagues, as you mentioned, the NCA, they've been hardline against even fantasy, even fantasy. And the one thing I'll be interesting to watch is if these states that start doing this, are they going to pull out NCA championships, NCA tournaments, out of those states because they're really hardline against gambling? The NCA is. Theoretically, these are the players most susceptible to abuse and nefarious influence. Uh, I don't. Know, I, I I tend to think some of that's overblown, uh, in terms of the shadiness getting to these guys. I go back to my point of a couple minutes ago. This is now legal, so the theory is there's going to be less of that because it's regulated, uh, and there would have been more of that with unregulated gambling. So. I'm hopeful about the NSA, but I do want to watch how they're going to treat it.
0: You can follow Andrew Brandt on Twitter. You can check out his Business of Sports podcast. Andrew Brandt, thanks so much for being here.
2: My pleasure, Chris.
0: Up next, we'll give you an inside look at the stocks on our radar. This is Motley Fool Money. I want to say thanks to Molecule, the world's first molecular air purifier that reduces symptoms for allergy and asthma sufferers. Molecule has introduced a breakthrough science that is finally capable of destroying air pollutants at a molecular level. I, I, I just I just love that that's happening, that, that we're destroying air pollutants on a molecular level. Molecule makes a real difference for asthma and allergy sufferers, helping them better cope with their conditions and significantly reducing their symptoms. One customer has reportedly said that after using Molecule in her home, she was able to breathe through her nose for the first time in 15 years. Now, I don't know about her, but here's what I do know. We got one of these Molecule air purifiers here in the office at Motley Fool Global Headquarters. And in the D.C. area, in the spring, the pollen levels get insanely high. And I will confess to you that uh, over the weekend, I was suffering so much from all the pollen that I just uh, came back to the office and took it, and I brought it to my home, and I just set it up in my bedroom. And when I woke up the next morning, I felt so much better as a result. I, ultimately, I returned it because I didn't feel good about uh, stealing the device outright. I just you know, thought of it more in terms of, I'm just going to borrow this for a few days. And it worked for me so well. It was fantastic. Molecule is easy to use. It has a clean and sleek design from the materials used on the device, like its sleek, solid aluminum shell, to a filter subscription service where filters regularly arrive on your doorstep when you need them. For $75 off your first order, visit Molecule.com, that's Molecule with a K, -K M-O-L-E-K-U-L-E.com, and enter the promo code FOOL. (laughs) As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. Chris Hill here in studio with Jason Moser, Matt Argusinger, and Ron Gross. A couple of housekeeping notes before we get to the stocks on our radar. Our podcast swag shop, which you can find at shop.fool.com. A couple of new items, uh, including women's cut T-shirts now in stock. Uh, Also, uh, we've gotten great feedback, Jason, from our listeners, uh, people tweeting photos of of some of the swag they bought, uh, also uh, offering some feedback on the shipping costs, which we have worked to alleviate. So, (laughs) you can check all that out at shop.fool.com. Also, if you're going to be in the D.C. area at the end of the month, we are having a listener meetup. In Washington, D.C., on May 30th, just drop us an email radio at if you're around and interested, and we will send you all the info. That's May 30th, just email radio at fool.com. Let's get to the stocks on our radar and our man behind the glass Steve Berto, is going to hit you with a question Ron Gross, you're up first what are you looking at this week
3: I got a retail opportunity investment corp ROIC they are a REIT focused on retail shopping centers which uh, rightfully so has some investors nervous stock stock has not been not been strong we can say but you know I think they've got great properties in affluent areas really strong management team they are grocery store anchored which I like Great dividend, as most REITs typically do. They've increased that dividend each year for the past seven years, now stands at 4.5% yield, and I think the stock itself has some nice upside.
0: Steve, question about Retail Opportunity Investment Corp.?
2: If I'm looking at companies like this, am I just looking at the yield? Uh, Is that all I'm
1: looking at, or am I looking at more?
3: No, you can look at at cash flow for for sure, and there's some certain metrics that REITs have. We won't get into the nitty-gritty, but you want to make sure the cash flow is strong. And be aware that because they distribute most of their cash in dividends, they constantly need to raise equity or debt to fund future acquisitions, so you want to keep an eye on the balance sheet as well.
0: Jason Moser, what are you looking at?
1: Yeah, not a new name. Listeners are probably familiar with TeleDoc, ticker T D O C. A little bit of a question I had going into uh, this this most recent quarter's earnings. They they have a different. Uh, Part to the business here, they've introduced for a fee only uh, sort of member. Like they have a membership model, but then they also have just a fee only model. And I wanted to know really the incentive there. Uh, Why wouldn't you just try to make everybody a member of your plan? And, And so I contacted Investor Relations. They gave me a lot of great information. And the bottom line the fee only model is really about attracting these big. Millions of of uh, you know users uh, bases with health plans like Aetna or Blue Cross Blue Shield, uh, so it, the, the economics simply make more sense. It gives uh, Teladoc a chance to really grow that base out, and we're just seeing this big move towards towards virtual healthcare and telehealth, and, and TeleDoc is helping lead the way. So continue to really love what these guys are doing. Steve, question about TeleDoc: When is my primary care doc a virtual one? Uh, well, it could be right now, actually, Steve. If you go to Teladoc's app, you can enter all of that information and boom, it's like magic. I was really hoping Steve was just <laughs> going to ask you a medical question. I would come up with an answer. It can might you, not be the right
0: one, but I'd come you, up with an answer. Can you look at this thing on my shoulder? Uh, Matt Argensinger, what are you looking at this uh, week?
4: Also one I've mentioned in the past, Arcos Dorados, ticker ARCO, exclusive operator and franchiser of McDonald's restaurants in most of Latin America. Uh, it's off to a great start to 2017, comparable store sales, excluding Venezuela. Uh, <laughs> you can't so do say, that. Yeah, I know. Gained 9.8% <laughs> in the quarter, revenue up 5.5% to $800 million. Uh, Arcos was EBITDA margin, which reached a six-year high in 2017, expanded again in the first quarter. Uh, that brought in $68 million in adjusted earnings, up 12.5% over last year. Argentina is facing some trouble right now. You see that? It's always volatile in Latin America, but this is one of the cheapest stocks I see. Steve? How old is too old for a Happy Meal? Oh, man, I don't know. I think I could go for a Happy Meal right now. <laughs> <laughs> Arcos Dorados,
0: Teladoc, Retail Opportunity Investment Corp. Do you want to add one of those to your watch list, Steve? I'm going to take a look at Ron's REIT. Nice. All right. Score. Ron Gross, Jason Moser, Matt Argusinger, Guys, thanks for being here. Thanks, thanks Chris. Chris. That's going to do it for this week's edition of Motley Fool Money. Our engineer is Steve Broido. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.